Welcome to the Game Dev Field Guide, bonus episode number 21. Today's special guest, Longy. This episode of the Game Dev Field Guide is sponsored by our community patrons. Everyone in the community gets it for free, and it's all thanks to the generosity of the patrons. If you'd like to become a patron and vote on main episode topics, support episodes like these ones, and get a special Discord role, I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. I also have another important community announcement For the months of November and December, instead of doing a monthly game jam, we decided to do a level design challenge. Big thanks to the community member Yannyboy, who built basically our own version of Mario Maker. He calls it Editar, and it's sort of a pirate-themed 2D platformer with a full level-building tool and a way to share levels you made with other people in the community. And we're hosting a sort of level design challenge in lieu of the monthly game design challenges, or monthly game jams, rather. So yeah, if you'd like to participate, it doesn't take that long to make a level. I think you could probably make a good level in maybe an hour. It's totally free. Um, It's a good way to flex those level design muscles. And yeah, if you'd like to participate... There's a whole bunch of links and guides and stuff like that in our community Discord. I'll leave a link to that Discord in the show notes. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the first segment of the show. The first segment of bonus episodes is usually Buff Debuff, and Buff Debuff is what we're going to do today. It's a segment where people in our community offer one phrase or one word topics, and I don't really do any research on them. I just kind of go off the top and give my initial reaction to it. And I will say if I think it's buffed or debuffed, meaning uh, do I think it's good or trending up or bad and trending down. So yeah, I guess we'll just jump into the first topic. The first topic is an IP spanning multiple genres. I think the poster meant something like how Star Wars is an overarching IP that spans multiple genres in the world of video games, at least. And remember that I always do these segments and these reactions from the lens of an indie dev, as I am an indie dev. Um, I think you would be really lucky as an indie dev to have an IP that was worth spanning into multiple genres. I guess maybe I don't mean it like that. I think if you are in a position where you have an IP that is going to get people to come play your game just solely based on the IP, whatever it is, I think that's a really good position to be in as an indie dev, but it's a really rare position. Something big like Star Wars or Pokemon or whatever uh, just has the ability to draw people into games no matter the genre. But even the best indie games of all time uh, struggle to gain an audience that would be so big uh, and love the IP so much that it could jump to different genres. The only one I can really think of is Minecraft. And let's be honest, the non-Minecraft, the other games that are in different genres based on the Minecraft IP aren't as popular as the original Minecraft. 
So for that, I might consider it debuffed. But I think there are some things about it that could be buffed. For instance, you could reuse art assets um, towards your next games. Maybe your first game wasn't a success, but people really love the art, the sprites, and maybe the environment art and stuff like that. I think you could probably have no problem just making that game uh, in a different genre that you think would sell better and just reusing the art and just say, yeah, it's in the same world. It's in the same IP. So in that sense, it can be buffed, but I bet that wasn't the first thing most people were thinking about when they asked this question. Let's move to the next topic, which is tablet gaming. I think tablets as a game platform is slightly buffed. And I say that because mobile platforms are really popular. There's a lot of people who play games on mobile. And I kind of see tablet as just like a HD or mobile experience plus. Now you do get all the negatives of competing in the mobile market. Which I've definitely talked about before. We did a whole episode on mobile game development. But yeah, just to keep these topics light and short, I think tablet gaming is slightly buffed just because it's a better platform than uh, regular mobile phones. It's pretty accessible to you know a large group of people with the caveat that you do have all the negatives of competing in the mobile market as well. I don't think it really holds a candle to the handheld market, things like um, the Steam Deck or the Switch. But I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I honestly haven't done that much tablet gaming. Our next topic is catch-up mechanics. Um, this would be things like the bullet bill in Mario Kart, which if you don't know, if you're towards the uh, back of the pack in Mario Kart, like if you're in 10th place or something, you have an increased chance of getting bullet bill, and bullet bill is just a power-up that lets you uh, drive really fast and be invincible. And it's meant to get you back up to the front of the pack. Or in other words, it's a catch-up mechanic. It's something that helps you go from 10th place to 3rd place, for instance. I think catch-up mechanics are buffed. Um, Strongly buffed, I would even say. Catch-up mechanics are a perfect safeguard for like snowballing balance problems. In some games where getting access to power-ups or upgrades or something leads the player to getting more access to more power-ups and upgrades and and so on and so forth in a feedback loop that creates a condition where one player really snowballs and gets way ahead of everyone else. Or maybe a, a certain group of people snowball and get way ahead of everyone else. And if you're not in that group, it can kind of not be fun because you know you can't win. A catch-up mechanic is a safeguard for this because it's extremely hard to stop the snowballing without kind of hindering the gameplay and making it not fun. Part of the fun is upgrading really fast and and having those synergies and snowballing. Like having a snowballing strategy is part of the fun in some games. So you don't want to hamper that, but you also don't want people to be totally left out. So you implement a catch-up mechanic and it kind of mitigates the problems of uh, snowballing. So for that, I would say catch-up mechanics are buffed. The next topic is trying to make money off of games. And I think this is kind of in reference to the classic debate of like, when making a video game, do you go for what's going to make the most money? Or do you go for sort of like what's going to be the best game, the artistic side of it? And I think a lot of people see this as something that's like in conflict with each other. 
Uh, you can go back to the Unity Iron Source current events episode where, you know, there's two camps. There's people who try to make, like, the high art piece games, and there's people who try to make the games that are going to be, like, blockbuster sellers and everything in between. I think trying to make money off of games is often villainized and sometimes it's for good reason i mean you can think of like mobile games that uh appeal to kids and try to exploit kids for money i think if you're a dev and you find yourself uh having those like conversations with yourself or like those design discussions like how do we make the most money off these kids you know that's a moment to really look in the mirror and say is this really why i got into making games I can say that from personal experience. That's kind of where my mobile game development career went when I started. And ultimately, it was the reason I quit doing mobile games altogether. But I think those are the extreme cases. And there is a happy middle ground where you can still try your hardest to make money off of games. And you should, especially if it's your job. I've got no problem with devs who want to um, keep up with the most effective monetization strategies for their games because they need money for their work so they can continue to make games or they need money for their work so that they can feed their family. I have no problem with someone doing that. And of course, that's kind of in conflict with what I said earlier. Um, I think the best example of where it works the best is kind of how Europe has implemented the protections for like gambling and games for children, for instance. I think that's a good bit of regulation and it kind of keeps that thing in the perfect balance where I think you should be allowed to try and make money off of your games so long as they're not exploiting audiences that maybe are easier to exploit than like an adult audience, for instance. So yeah, I guess on the whole, I would say trying to make money off of games is slightly buffed with a few caveats. Next, we have developing VR games. I think VR is slightly buffed. I say that because... I I think that we still haven't fully explored um, all the things that can be done with VR. And the problem mostly with it is that it's really risky to invest your time in VR because there's not a lot of people with the equipment. And even the people with equipment, uh, it's not like how everyone predicted. I think people saw VR uh, when they predicted it as like a natural progression, an evolution of video games and like interacting with digital media like they thought that with vr no one would use a computer anymore right they thought we had like the classic computers and now we're kind of into the modern age of computers and the next was going to be vr and people were going to leave our modern age of computers for vr but that's not really how it works and it kind of makes sense when you think about it more practically let's just think about it in video games for instance if I want to make an action uh, game where the character does front flips and back flips and jumps 15 feet in the air, VR is not a natural evolution for that. VR is a worse experience for that kind of game because a person cannot do that. In order to do a backflip in a VR game, you would have to do a backflip in real life. And yeah, maybe you could like fake it or you know do some interesting controls and somehow not make the player super nauseous. But it's just way better to do that on a traditional gaming setup to make an action game where the character is doing front flips and back flips and all that stuff. Uh, just do that on a normal console or computer. It's better. So, yeah, I want to get that out of the way first. But I do think VR games are slightly buffed just because we haven't 
fully explored all of the game mechanic possibilities. And I still think there are some ones out there uh, that just, you know, haven't been done yet. There's a lot of innovation to be done in VR. And the problem now is it's just really risky to do it. So it's happening at a slow pace. I think the big takeaway is VR will always be supplemental to traditional gaming. I don't think it'll fully replace it ever. Maybe ever is strong. I mean, when it's a full-on, like, <laughs> holodeck kind of simulation, maybe then it will change. But in my lifetime, VR will probably always be supplementary to traditional gaming, and that's fine. I think VR can offer some really interesting experiences that only it can do, and that's where I think it's uh, slightly buffed. I'm going to do the next three uh, kind of in a quickfire fashion. Uh, the next one is not hiring artists as a non-artistic game dev. I think that is slightly debuffed. You can, of course, learn to do art yourself, but that is a whole nother discipline. And art is going to be what your game is judged on at the very first. So, yeah, if you're doing games as a hobby and you just want to learn and practice your skills, not hiring an artist is actually probably slightly buffed. It's free, you get to learn a new skill, and you kind of take more ownership of the game. Uh, but if you're doing it for money, I would say it's slightly debuffed. Uh, not hiring an artist and doing like amateur art for your game is going to lose you sales. And I know this firsthand. I did the capsule art, uh, like the, the thing that pops up on Steam for my first game, Bounce Shot. And I think that directly contributed to um, a loss in sales because I can see the people who visit I can see like the analytics of how many people viewed the game or whatever. And a lot of people didn't really even make it past the initial art stuff uh, just because I did it myself. I didn't hire a professional artist. If you're going to hire an artist, but you want to do it on a budget, the number one thing I think to pay for is capsule art for Steam. So yeah, not hiring artists can be slightly buffed or debuffed, kind of depends on your situation. But if you're doing it for money, uh, slightly debuffed. Game design books. I think game design books are, for me personally, slightly debuffed. Or maybe they're, I don't know. I don't want to have a neutral in this segment, but if I did have a neutral, I would say neutral. For me, I just prefer to learn from like YouTube and more visual mediums, seeing as how game dev is a very visual thing. And I realize the irony of that because I teach game dev on a non-visual medium like a podcast. <laughs> so yeah I don't know for me personally I just don't learn from books that's just not how I work I'm a visual learner um, but I'm sure for people out there there's plenty of great game design books I'm just not the right person to ask about it the next topic is doing single project or focusing on one big project and doing game jam breaks I think this strategy is buffed it's one that I kind of do myself where when I'm feeling really burned out on my one core project, I and I have to focus on one core project, I can't have like multiple projects going at a time or I find that none of them really get completed. So I like to do one core project and when I'm feeling really burnt out on it, I'll go do a 48-hour game jam or something like that just to mix it up and try something else. This kind of is the best of both worlds. Um, you still do one project at a time, but that secondary project you commit to, you commit to it for a very small amount of time. It's low stakes. It doesn't really matter. It's just kind of a palate cleanser. And then you can go back to your single big project. 
It's a good strategy and one that I use myself, and for that, it is buffed. The last topic for today is trend following. This is the idea of following like the hot genre or hot game mechanic and making a game with uh, similar elements for yourself. I think this strategy is buffed. And I kind of learned a similar strategy from the game dev marketer, Chris Sukowski. He calls it the fast follow method. And his example was... um, There's a game called Vampire Survivors. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it. It's a very simple indie game. It's only like $3 or $5 on Steam, but it was a huge hit earlier this year. And Chris Zukowski pointed out that a lot of people went with this idea of a fast follow. They saw a game that was a huge hit, and then they slightly tweaked it or maybe um, changed some of the mechanics to kind of build their own idea, right? This is not a clone, I want to be clear about this. So you're not cloning the game. You are taking a game genre that is hot or a new and emerging mechanic and add something of your own to it to make it something new and different. You're innovating. And anyways, there was a lot of games that innovated on this idea. And now the vampire survivors, I think they call them survivor likes, or I've even seen the term reverse bullet hell. That is a whole genre of games with lots of new innovations and fun games in there. And that's all thanks to indie devs basically following the big trend at the moment. I think it's a good strategy if you can work quickly. Uh, One of the examples Chris Zukowski points out is this game called 20 Minutes Till Dawn. The developer was working on a tactics RPG uh, that was taking like years to make when they noticed Vampire Survivors blew up. And that developer said, I'm going to take two months and make... Um, a game called 20 Minutes Till Dawn, which is inspired by Vampire Survivors, but has some interesting and new mechanics and some really nice art. And yeah, that game was super successful. And it only took them two months to make. And that was the example that kind of convinced me that maybe I should try the fast follow method of indie game dev. So yeah, maybe you'll see a fast follow from me in the future. I gotta get uh, quicker. I gotta get quicker at programming before I can call anything I do fast. But if I can make a game in 48 hours for a game jam, um, I'm sure I could make a game in 48 hours if I pick the right genre and scope and then polish it in two months. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a viable strategy. So for that, it is buffed. And yeah, that's going to do it for the first segment of the day, Buff Debuff. If you'd like to participate in the next one... um, You can go on over to the community Discord and just type up whatever your topic you want to hear about in the Buff Debuff. We have started getting to the point where there's repeats. So if I don't read yours, it's probably because I've already read one like it or I've got an episode topic or something. Or there's a better place to hear me talk about it than uh, me just repeating over and over. So yeah, the Buff Debuff channel in the community Discord is the best place to participate. With that, we're going to move on over to the second segment of the show. And the second segment of bonus episodes is a key thought from a special guest. This month's special guest is the longtime community member, Longy, who I actually asked to come on to the show uh, because of Longy's unique experience. Longy is currently a student in a game dev-related major. Now, some of the education terms I use are like the American versions, and Longy is from Europe, so, you know, I'll say college, he'll probably say university, but 
the whole point was I wanted to get someone on the show with some game dev education experience. And I think hearing from someone directly in it right now is a good way to maybe think about if that's something you want to do yourself. So yeah, without further ado, everyone, please welcome the guest of today's episode, Longy. Hello, everybody. So first of all, just want to say thank you to Zaccavelli for having me on the podcast. Uh, it really means a lot. I've been listening to his podcast for quite a while now, so uh, super cool opportunity. So uh, yeah, thank you again. So my segment today is going to be about being a student, uh, studying at university, all the opportunities that have been presented to me, all the uh, skills I've learned so far, and all the hands-on experiences I've had with all the game engines, uh, all the different types of languages I've used, uh, learning new skills, uh, uh, talking to people, presenting projects, pitching games, uh, talking to industry professionals, having all these sort of opportunities, I'm going to go through them and try and almost pitch university to uh, a lot of the, the new game developers out there. So a little bit of backstory on myself before we get started. Uh, my name is Jack, also known as Longy Dev Online. Uh, I've been studying game development now for about three years. I also make YouTube videos and I also have released uh, about six games now on itch, uh, some from Unity in 2D and some from Unreal. Uh, in 3D. Okay, so by no means am I a industry professional like uh, most of the people that Zaccavelli has on here. But uh, yeah, I, I want to try and shed some light on what it's like to be a student, as I know a lot of people are in my position right now, uh, trying to decide what to do for their future and what is the best path for them. So really, the overall goal today is to give you an idea of what university life will be like uh, if you're considering it. And uh, yeah, just try and show you all the skills that you'll learn at the end of it so i know that a lot of universities vary especially like in different countries as well like everyone experience is going to be different from another so but i feel like some of the points i'm going to make uh, are going to be universal anyway so let's start off with the social aspect of university Starting off at uni, I was a very shy person. Like I didn't want to talk to anybody. Like when I first went, I but the plan was just to go there, sit at my desk, and get grades, right? But at the university I went to, they straight from the get go, they got you involved in game jams straight from the start. They had a test today, which I made at my very first game at, and I was talking to people there. I was getting involved in group conversations. I was getting to know the teachers. They're all very welcoming. Like in the first year that you're there, they have subjects ready for uh, practicing, presenting to a group, uh, working with a group. They they break the ice straight away and they get you practicing these really important skills for your future from the very get go. So, yeah, don't get put off by this. But uh, within the first three weeks, you're, you're talking within a group, uh, brainstorming game ideas with each other making board games and then presenting them in front of the whole class. So they don't throw you straight in the deep end. They do make you present with like at least four others. Still, you're getting there and you're standing up in front of a bunch of people presenting a game to them. You eventually move on to presenting by yourself. Uh, for example, I went to the Global Game Jam uh, and I presented in front of uh, all the people competing in that at my university. Uh, I demoed my game in front of them and had to explain the, the game mechanics to everybody. Uh, there was also three judges at that uh, game jam that judged my game and I ended up winning best game mechanic for that and uh, earning a voucher for 
some shop somewhere but yeah they they <laughs> either way it was it was a prize and it was something to show for my hard work in the game jam and you know it just felt good they they're straight away presenting you with these opportunities that make you feel good improve your confidence and just yeah overall just improve your self-esteem because before joining university i would have not stood up in front of two people let alone a whole group of people so straight away you're already making progress and yeah i wouldn't trade that for anything these skills that you learn in the the first year transfer over straight away to the second year so for example now i'm now a project lead for the game that i pitched to the whole class which is just an amazing opportunity Uh, i get to work with the whole class i get to split them up into different teams i get to talk to each individual team and try and organize the game really understand the project management side of the games industry and yeah it it, again you have to be using your social skills your presentation skills all of these skills come into play and you really get a hands-on experience of what it would be like working in a game studio without any real pressure of losing any money or anything like that because Really, it's all it just in good practice, and there's no uh, there's no publisher like nagging at you to try and get the game finished or anything like that. It's you know it's really really good practice, and you really get to hone in on practicing your social skills. So yeah, I wanted to talk about a more technical side of uni now. Uh, what you sort of get to learn, what sort of languages you get to learn, what game engines you get to use, and stuff like that. So in my first year, I started off using uh, the Unity game engine, uh, which I absolutely love. By the way, uh, it's super simple uh, and it's really great for just getting started. Uh, the first subject was on making a 2D tower defense game. And within this game, you literally got to really develop every sort of mechanic that you can use for a simple 2D game. We had shooting, we had moving, we had enemies, we had score, you had health, uh, both for the player and the tower, spawning objects, everything like that. You you really focus on like core mechanics that you can really use in a a wide range of, of 2D games. And this was proven by me making, I think, three more 2D games after that that I didn't think I could go on and make because I didn't have them core mechanics behind me. Uh, before this, the only game I made was a literal like boxes falling from the top of the screen and you had to catch them. Uh, and that was a super boring random game. But now that I had this uh, foundation behind me, all these mechanics that I've learned that I could make, I could then go on to make even more interesting games and compete in more game jams and really get involved in the games industry and start improving my portfolio. You also get to work with game engines such as Unreal Engine, which was a super interesting experience. You get to learn all about blueprints. uh, And I mean, I didn't enjoy this as much as Unity uh, personally, but again, you're getting a wide range of these uh, game engines that you can use. And it's probably one of the most popular ones in the industry as well. Uh, so it was super cool to, to learn. And it, some of my favorite games are made with Unreal Engine. So yeah, yeah, again, it was really cool to look at and uh, make a game of my own in that. So finally, as I progressed into my second year, I started to learn more about web development and uh, C++. Uh, both of these subjects have been very hard. I'm still in the process of doing these subjects. Uh, you really do get spoiled in the first year of having these amazing game engines that you can use because once you get to uh, web dev and uh, C++, everything's sort of stripped down and you've got to really learn the ins and outs of the, the languages and everything that took uh, like five minutes to do in Unity takes now like five hours to do in C++. So yeah, you really get a whole wide range of languages that you're going to be using. 
And this is only going to get better in my third year as I'm going to be learning how to make my own game engine, uh, l- learn about AI development as well, uh, and all of these sort of things that yeah, I get to learn in my third year. So yeah, you really do get a wide range of these languages that you get to learn. This really helps you as well learn what you're not a big fan of and what you are a fan of. And then you can then focus on that path that you want to take more when you leave university. You get to experience all these different skills and these these different things that you can learn in the industry that can lead you on loads of different job paths. Uh, and you can sort of sort of pick and choose which one you want to really focus on. And I think that's that's a really great opportunity, really. You, you get a taster of everything and then, you know, you, you can then decide your path from there. I mean, I know it's hard to actually get a job that you enjoy straight away, but you can also just get an idea, a brief idea of what you truly enjoy and then you can try and make your way up from there. You don't get this sort of experience from doing an apprenticeship. You sort of get thrown into that job and you learn that specific role, not getting a taster of everything uh so yeah university in that is really really good so more on the the job opportunities uh so within university you get to have a a placement year which i am going to take next year uh basically you get to go into the industry and work for a a company or something similar to your course this is really great uh for your portfolio again because you get the edge on the people that that don't take this opportunity because they won't have the the industry experience where you will. So it will really help you get a, an edge on the competition when looking for a job. And within the university, there is these places that you can go to to help you uh, cater your CV and improve your CV for your specific industry and really help you get the best chance of getting a job over everybody else trying to compete for the same sort of jobs as you. So finally, I just want to touch upon the skills that I've learned aside from programming. So for example, I've had experience in 3D modeling using Maya. Uh, I made the models for my 3D game in Unreal Engine. Uh, I've had industry talks from professionals uh, that have taught me a lot about the the business side of things, uh, about publishers, about kickstarters about indie game development uh, all of that sort of stuff really give you a an insight on what it's like when you leave university and really help you get prepared for that sort of stuff so yeah i think i've mentioned everything that i want to mention now uh i just want to say thank you again to zaccavelli for giving me the opportunity yeah it's been awesome uh, i know i've probably sounded very nervous throughout the whole thing and probably haven't mentioned uh, as much stuff as i wanted to mention but uh if you've got any other questions for me, if you're a new student or you're someone looking at probably going to university or going into higher education, uh, please message me on Twitter. I will happily reply to uh, anybody. Uh, my handle is at uh, devlongi. Uh, yeah, be sure to message me and uh, I'll have a conversation about it with you. So uh, yeah, uh, thank you for listening and uh, yeah, I hope to see you again sometime when I've got a little bit more experience (laughs) uh, when I've left uni. Uh, So yeah, thank you all for listening. And there you have it, a chat from Longy about higher education and game development. I think there's a lot of good tidbits in there. Uh, One of the most underrated things I think about going to college or university at all is the social aspect especially in a game dev sense i feel like game dev sometimes can be really isolating it's it's one of the reasons that we have a discord community it's a place to kind of gather with other game devs but i think about all of my good friends from college 
and how cool it would have been, not that I would trade them or anything, but how cool it would have been to also be in college and working on game dev with my friends and being like immersed in that community of just a bunch of people who are new to game dev. I think that's, I don't know, that's a really cool opportunity and an underrated side of game dev education. Anyways, yeah, big thanks to Longy for being the special guest today. I know he mentioned his Twitter. It's at DevLongy. Um, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I'm also on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore, and I'm active in our community Discord pretty much every day. Anyways, with that, I'm going to end the show. I have been Zachavelli, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Game Dev Field Guide.